Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. If you don't have it, get it. And we are 61 days until November 3rd. November 3rd, the big day, 2020. Presidential election, election day around the country, around the USA. And uh, in just a couple days, in fact, about a week or so, uh, there will be early voting. People will start casting their ballots in the presidential election. The debates uh, are still a ways off, these pivotal debates, but the conventions are in the books, and we begin the post-Labor Day sprint towards November 3rd, towards Election Day. Very consequential, and if you listen to the uh, both campaigns, this is the most important election in the history of our country. Uh could be. Certainly seems to be. Uh, certainly seems to be the greatest contrast that I've ever seen. Um, both campaigns are trying to cast this as a battle between good and evil. Uh, light, and, light and darkness, uh, as we heard uh, in Joe Biden's uh, convention uh, acceptance speech. And we heard echoes of that in Donald Trump's convention speech as well. Uh, you know, this idea that should the other win, you will not be safe. Uh, you will not, this will not be your country anymore. Uh, if could not be a sharper contrast between the two sides that we see right now. And the conventions, of course, very different. Uh, certainly, Republicans took advantage of the power of incumbency. Uh, tremendously by staging the president's speech at the White House, by the vice president's speech at Fort McHenry in Maryland, uh, in Baltimore Harbor, the site of the famous Battle of 18, the War of 1812 that gave us our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Could not have been a greater contrast between a virtual uh, kind of pandemic precaution democratic national convention uh, i would call it a national convention because it is in fact a national convention even though there was nobody actually there pretty much in milwaukee uh and the kind of the that had the kind of zoom quality to it the zoom conference call quality to it but very well choreographed i have to say uh and the republican uh, convention, which was a series of speeches from the Mellon Auditorium in D.C., everybody kind of in the same podium, everybody kind of walking up there, speaking to an empty room. Uh, but then you had the president and the vice president both speaking to live audiences. And we don't really recognize, again, the idea of live audiences. It's been a while since we've had such a thing. It's been a while since we've had the experience of looking at live audiences. And it's a whole different thing. And um, the one thing I would certainly comment was... The vice president's speech, the people were sitting apart, uh, mostly unmasked. The president's speech of the White House, very close together, very uh, cheek to jowl, as the expression goes, and unmasked entirely. Uh, you very, so very, very few masks. The other thing I would say, comment with regard to the White House speech, was that while Republicans celebrated diversity 
and the diversity within their ranks and try to soften some of the tendency to call uh, the president and the party racist and a white party. Um, and I thought Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, did an excellent job. And Nikki Haley, also from South Carolina, um, did a good job at rebutting it. But the faces of the White House audience were, by and large, white. You did not see the same diversity. And there is diversity in the Republican Party. Um, there's quite a bit of um, diversity, although not as much, I think, as some would like. Um and the audience did not show that. Now, the speech itself, uh, extraordinarily Trumpian, very much in character, very long, a little bit meandering at times, I think effective. I think it gave people what they wanted, meaning Republicans what they wanted. And the fireworks display was way over the top, and in a good way. I mean, if you like fireworks, it was it was spectacular. So... Did the conventions do the job? Will there be a bounce? Will there be anything? I got to say, it, it does appear that things are baked. And I mean baked in a big way. Um, I think the poll numbers are pretty steady. It's not as if... It's not as if the... There's going to be a lot of movement out there. Um, now, you might say to yourself, well, this is the same thing that... We saw in 2016, the president was way down, meaning Trump was way down, Hillary was way up, and Biden's lead, it's small compared to what Hillary's was. And it's really the swing states that matter, um, 11 states, maybe those battleground states, those purple states are the ones that matter. The second point, 100% true. National polls really don't mean very much. Um, at all. It's the state-by-state -state polls that really matter. Our presidential election is really 50 different elections, and really it comes down to it, it's kind of 8 to 11 elections. But, uh, but, but I would caution those who think, and I am certainly of the opinion, I mean, this is this race is not over. I know people think it is. I know people would like to think it is. There's a lot of wishful thinking out there that how is it possible with Americans dying every day, a thousand Americans dying every day, we're going to go more than 200,000, that Americans are going to reelect President Trump. Well, I think when it comes down to it, a lot of people uh, think that President Trump has done a pretty good job. Overall, they don't blame him for the pandemic because it's a foreign act of God, whatever the excuse is, or whatever the actually reasoning that they have. And, and they want to believe and they feel that he's going to be a better, uh, a better president than Joe Biden is. Joe Biden's old. He's a captive of the left. He doesn't have his own ideas. He stumbles into speech. He's lost a step, whatever the reason is. But I think that a lot of people need to understand here is that to the extent the president wants to mean Trump wants to make this a referendum on Joe Biden, he, in fact, is the one in office. And 
the people in office tend, especially those who are late-breaking voters, meaning the ones who make up their mind, and there aren't, percentage-wise, there just aren't that many of them this year, um, much, much fewer than we've seen in the past. But, but, Re-elections tend to be a referendum. For those that are late-breaking, they tend to be a referendum on the person in office, and that will be, essentially, uh, the president of the United States. So you need to think about that if you're starting to say, well, if it looks like 2016, it's similar to 2016, and the numbers are similar to 2016, and all these states in the end are going to go in the end, to uh, President Trump as they did in 2016. I would be cautionary about that. Now, the other thing, of course, is that the money race right now, uh, Joe Biden will pull in $364.5 million in August in fundraising. Let me just uh, reiterate that. $364.5 million in August. Uh, That's a big number. A huge number. So, I think that that is uh, something the betting markets and those who bet on presidential elections, um, it's almost even right now, which is very interesting. Um. So there's a lot of people who are saying, don't, uh, you know, don't put this to bed yet. But we can say um, Biden nationally in a comfortable position, about eight, nine points up. Uh, Fox News yesterday at a poll, Arizona, North Carolina, Wisconsin. Support is below his 2016 share. Donald Trump is doing terribly amongst suburban women. It's like a two to one margin. It's a big number. That's like it's like sixty to thirty percent. Trump won Arizona with forty eight point seven percent of the vote in two thousand sixteen. Fifty six percent disapprove of his job, forty three percent job approval. Uh among likely, unlikely voters and this is the Fox News poll, forty nine percent Biden, forty percent Trump. That's something to overcome, and this is that. This is this week. This poll just takes September first. Um, Trump is ahead among whites without a college degree by eleven points. White voters forty five forty five. Um, the Arizona Senate choice is is like is almost twenty points. Um, Mark Kelly over Martha McSally. So that's a big number. North Carolina likely voters Biden fifty. Trump, 46. Wisconsin likely voters, Biden, 50. Trump, 42. Pennsylvania, uh, closer. But these are three swing states, Biden leading, uh, outside the margin of error in all three. Trump campaign has its work to do. And that's why he was in Kenosha, Wisconsin there. He was bringing the message of law and order, bringing the messages that we have to protect 
Americans, first and foremost, the government has to, we cannot allow wanton looting and rioting. And I'll tell you, Democrats, they don't even like to say the words looting and rioting, even though it's happening. Uh, I would prefer, of course, that we, Republicans refer to it with both sides. There are hooligans on the right, too. It's not as if the people who come into the crowds with guns as vigilantes and and they say they're going to protect the property, somehow they should, we should excuse their activities. And what happened in Kenosha with this uh, 17-year-old is just astounding that a guy would come from Illinois with the gun and then kill two people and the police would just walk by him. You have to acknowledge that there's a problem with that. And I do subscribe to the view that if this was a person of color, they would not have allowed him to just walk by. These actions of police brutality are, are shocking. They're tragic. They need to be addressed. We can't just let them go by. We can't just say it's okay for the time for the police to cause somebody's death for non-life-threatening incidents. It's tragic. It's terrible. So again, Republican convention, I thought, well done. They scrambled. They couldn't get it. Uh, They couldn't get the venue that they wanted in Charlotte, Jacksonville. They ended up in D.C. and made the best of it. Uh, Melania gave an excellent speech. Uh, There is some cognitive dissonance and in that, but we'll leave that aside. Um, I thought the president gave a good speech. I thought Pence gave a good speech. Um, overall, I thought Biden gave a great speech. I got to be honest. I think he rose to the occasion. I think the one problem is with the expectations game with Joe Biden is that we've made it so low that we think that whatever he says is going to be great. A couple other comments as we go and we head down the home stretch in earth, political earthquake in Massachusetts, and I know we don't still think of primary elections, but primaries are going on. And uh, this Tuesday, we had kind of the marquee primary, Joe Kennedy, representative congressman, who decided challenging the incumbent, Ed Markey, who's probably been in Congress longer than Joe Kennedy's been alive. But Kennedy has never or had never lost an election in the state of Massachusetts, loses a primary. And when I say a Kennedy, I mean all the way back to John F. Kennedy, the president. Ted Kennedy, other Kennedys that have run for Congress and other positions, never lost an election. And the Kennedy name is defeated by Ed Markey, a longtime incumbent, um, not as, not generally regarded as a superstar, but took on the mantle of progressivism and got the squad and AOC and all these young, and you have a seven, guy in the 70s who becomes the vanguard of the younger voters. We see politics just totally turned on its head. And I can't but help but commenting here is that it's so much more about the perception now of certain politicians that they are what they are in this kind of, we need this fresh face. How could Ed Markey be a fresh face? How could a guy who's been in Congress absolutely forever be that fresh face who has not necessarily distinguished himself necessarily really in Congress? I mean, it's not like Ed Markey you think of as a superstar in Congress. And goes down because he's viewed as old. Uh, to and Kennedy goes down because he's viewed as you know establishment because he's a Kennedy. Um, even though young, energetic, telegenic, he's a guy who gave a keynote speech at the Democratic convention four years ago. 
Uh, I'm not lamenting for the Kennedys. I don't really have much love for them. But it is shocking the way politics has kind of gone and been turned on its head in a lot of ways. You would have never thought that a Kennedy would lose. And uh, one more comment, I think. Again, this is uh, one of, you know, as bad sometimes as things get or seem to be politically for Republicans in certain places. You always have Bill de Blasio to come along and become the most absurd politician in America. And I say this with regard to dining indoors. Bill de Blasio announced that restaurants in New York City will not reopen indoor dining in uh, in in this year, essentially going to put most of them out of business as, as it gets cold because people are just not going to sit outside. And his excuse was, well, his people, or a lot of people, are dining out as a luxury, despite the fact that it employs tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people in New York, that restaurants being everywhere are small businesses that are the backbone. And the restaurant industry, whether it's cooks or servers or busboys or all these people who are rely on their paychecks, and the callousness in which de Blasio just goes about the way things that he does and the things that he says and not really caring about business and, you know, only and, you know, not everybody can work for the government or should be working for the government. Um, it's just it, it's just astounding his indifference to the private sector. And we really see that the guy at his heart is really a socialist, just does not care about people who actually want to have businesses and grow businesses by saying, essentially, we are going to put you out of business for the foreseeable future. I don't know how their restaurants are going to survive. And, of course, now they're suing um, because this is totally, totally arbitrary and capricious and the kind of things that government should not be doing. They should be looking for solutions, not looking to create more problems. Um, regulation in New York City is already onerous. In New York, it's already onerous. It's a terrible business climate. And, you know, and then he says at the same time, the coup, uh, the coup de gras, if you will, with regard to Bill de Blasio is we don't really care if the rich people come back, you know, because that's been a big thing, come back and pay the tax. We don't really care. You know, New York in particular, because they have an income tax, the wealthiest pay a disproportionate amount. I think it's close to 80% of the taxes. Uh, We'll see how soon he doesn't care if the wealthy people don't come back to New York City. And a lot of them might not uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, again, you know, this is a guy who favors socialism, who favors his people uh, or the perception of his people. And this is why I would say that he is going to go down in history as possibly the worst mayor that New York City has ever had. So as I said, 61 days till Election Day, we will be covering it closely here on Spin Class on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.